0: Plus, curate your dream setup with great deals on select monitors, mice, and more must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at dell.com deals, you'll have access to leading-edge technology and free shipping on everything. Again, that's dell.com deals. Today on Something You Should Know, your kitchen freezer has a big flaw that can ruin your food. I'll explain. Then understanding that you experience the world differently than everyone else can make your life so much easier.
1: A lot of times when people get frustrated or they think "Oh, there's something wrong with me why don't I have any self-control or willpower what they're doing is trying to do something in a way that's not right for them. We all have to figure out what works
0: for us. Plus if your kids have allergies it may be your dishwasher's fault. And human beings make a lot of irrational decisions, and it gets us in trouble.
2: People come in and they say, I don't know why my relationships don't end up well. Instead of saying, you know what, I want somebody who's honest and kind, we look at somebody and we say, wow, she has a great body, I'm going to go out with her. But that might not be the best match for who I'm really looking for.
0: All this today on Something You Should Know. There's a good chance that you're in a bit of a rut when it comes to the way your rooms look and the way your furniture's laid out. Because, well, the couch goes there because the couch has always gone there. And if that sounds a little like you, I'd like you to do what my wife and I did and try Modzi. Modzi is a home design solution that uses 3D visualization to help you redesign the rooms in your home and buy with confidence. We chose our living room and the before and after images are on the Something You Should Know website. What happens is, you take their style quiz and provide some information, and then you upload some photos. They then create this amazing 3D model of your rooms to scale. I swear, what you see looks like photos, but they're not. It's your room, but with all new furnishings in it. And then you use their style editor to try other furnishings and see how they would look in your room. Check out the before and after images of my living room on the Something You Should Know website. The link is in the show notes. Then, start your project today. Take 20% off any design package. Visit modzi.com, that's M-O-D-S-Y, modzi.com, and enter the promo code SOMETHING at checkout. You'll get 20% off any design package by going to modzi.com, M-O-D-S-Y, modzi.com, and enter the promo code SOMETHING at checkout. Something You Should Know. Fascinating intel, the world's top experts, and practical advice you can use in your life. Today, Something You Should Know with Mike Carruthers. Hi, welcome. It is episode 150 of the Something You Should Know podcast. And it's because of people like you who listen and tell their friends that this podcast has become so successful and continues to grow I think it's, like with any podcast, the way it grows and becomes successful is word of mouth. And without that, it's really hard to make a podcast successful. And so for that, I'm, I'm very grateful and thank you. First up today, if you ask anybody over I don't know, 50 maybe, they can tell you stories of the day when mom or grandma used to defrost the freezer And it was a real ordeal. You had to take all the food out of the freezer and then chip away all the ice because that's just what happened to a freezer. And then along came the frost-free freezer, which we all have now. But here's the problem. Your freezer regularly goes through a frost-free cycle. That means the temperature actually warms up in there. It gets as high as 45 degrees During that time, the frost melts and evaporates and prevents that buildup of ice on the walls of the freezer that mom and grandma had to deal with back in the day. The problem is that when the frost melts, your food starts to melt too, and then it refreezes, and that causes problems. This is a big cause of freezer burn and why you get those ice crystals on your ice cream. One food science professor calls frost-free freezers ice cream destruction machines. What happens is, as the temperature goes up and the food starts to thaw, the water from the food escapes into the air. As the temperature drops again, the water wants to re-enter the food, but it cannot because the food is still mostly frozen. So the water sits on top of the food and then freezes into ice crystals. This happens over and over and over again and eventually can ruin food in your freezer. One way to minimize the damage is to keep as little air space as possible between the food and the package it's in. This will help prevent the water from escaping out of the food because it will have no place to go. And that is something you should know. Sometimes we do things that unintentionally make our lives unnecessarily difficult. I'll give you the perfect example. Let's say that you decide you're going to get fit. And so what you're going to do is get up early every morning and go to the gym. Great. Good for you. The problem is you're not a morning person. So on the third day, you pretty much just say, screw it, I'm staying in bed, I'm not getting up. But maybe if you scheduled time in the afternoon or evening to go to the gym, it would be much easier to accomplish because getting up early is not who you are. Gretchen Rubin is a best-selling writer, and she's the host of a podcast called Happier with Gretchen Rubin, and she's just put out an audio book called The Four Tendencies. Gretchen says that there are basically four personality profiles. There's four ways that people live their lives, basically. And when you figure out which one you are, you can then live your life with much less stress. In fact, life gets a lot easier. Hi, Gretchen. Welcome to Something You Should Know.
1: Hello. It's great to be talking to you.
0: So it seems like what you're saying is that, you know, if you want to be happy and if you want to stop struggling, stop doing things that aren't you, that don't fit with who you are. Is that a good summation?
1: Absolutely. You put your your finger right on what I think is the essential point, which is that a lot of times when people get frustrated or they defeated or they think oh there's something wrong with me why can't I use tools that other people use easily or why don't I have any self-control or willpower really the, what they're doing is trying to do something in a way that's not right for them you know there is no magic one-size-fits-all solution we all figure have to figure out you know what kind of person are we what works for us when do we succeed when do we fail how how can we change circumstances um to help us get where we're going instead of trying to work on ourselves you know instead of trying to beat yourself up because you don't have enough willpower figure out a way so that you don't need any willpower um you can just you've you've set things up to help you succeed
0: but if you want to do something like lose weight or you know exercise more or stop smoking those things seem to scream willpower
1: Well, you know, they really, I think it's, and you know, I wrote a book called Better Than Before that's all about habit formation, and the reason why it's helpful to, and you gave three excellent examples of kind of major habits that a lot of people want to work on, When you think about setting those things up in a way that makes uh, it easy to form habits, then you don't – and the beauty of habits is you don't have to use willpower. You don't have to use self-control. You don't have to make decisions. Something just happens automatically. So say eating more healthfully or losing weight. One thing I do is I don't eat sugar. I never eat sugar. And so I'm never tempted by sugar. I don't think about sugar. Um, I don't have to use any willpower. I don't have to make decisions. It's like, oh, I'm walking into a store and they have a free bowl of candy. Do I eat it? No, because I don't eat sugar. Oh, I'm at a dinner party and they're serving dessert. Do I have dessert? No, because I don't eat sugar. I'm at a restaurant and they offer me a free dessert. Do I eat it? No. Because I don't eat sugar. That's just my habit. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to use the willpower. Um, and so, the more that we can use our knowledge of ourselves and and knowing ourselves, figure out a way to shape our habits, then we can achieve those aims in a way that's a lot less difficult.
0: So, you think that uh, that we generally fall into one or more of these four tendencies. So, why don't you explain what they are?
1: Oh, yes. So the four tendencies is a personality framework that I devised or I, I glimpsed in the world that has to do with how you respond to expectations. And according to my um, my framework, you're either an upholder, a questioner, an obliger or a rebel, depending on how you respond to outer expectations and inner expectations. So we all face outer expectations, like a work deadline or a request from a friend, and we all face inner expectations. My own desire to keep a New Year's resolution, my own desire to get back into playing guitar. So upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations. They meet the work deadline, they keep the New Year's resolution without much fuss. They wanna know what others expect from them, but what they expect for, for themselves is just as important. Then there are questioners. Questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if they think it makes sense. So they make everything an inner expectation. If it meets their standard, they'll be like, yeah, I'll do it. No problem. If it fails their standard, they will resist. And they tend to dislike anything that's arbitrary or inefficient or irrational. They always want to know why they should do something. Then there are obligers, and obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. And I got my first glimpse into this frame, this personality type when a friend of mine said, I don't understand it. When I was in high school, I was on the track team, and I never missed track practice, so why can't I go running now? Well, she's an obliger. When she had a team and a coach expecting her to show up, she had no trouble going. But when she was just trying to go on her own, it was a challenge. And then finally, rebels. Rebels resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do in their own way, in their own time. They can do anything they want to do. But if you ask or tell them to do something, they're very likely to resist. And typically, they don't even like to tell themselves what to do. Um, so most people can tell what they are just from that quick overview. There is a, qu- a quiz on my site, GretchenRubin.com, and more than 1.3 million people now have taken that quiz. But like I say, a lot of times people don't even need to take the the official quiz because right. they, they can tell what they are just but I, from...
0: I hear myself in all of those or, or most mm. of them, I, at least a little bit. I I'm, <laughs> is, is that well, that's probably
1: You're probably a questioner then because questioners feel like, well, sometimes I act like an upholder and sometimes I act like a rebel. And it's like, yeah, because you're probably doing what seems like it makes the most sense in the situation. That's questioner. Because a questioner is like, well, why would I do what you tell me? Well, if I if I trust what you tell me, of course I'll do what you tell me. Um, because I trust your judgment. But if I don't trust your judgment, then I'm going to rebel against it. I'm like, well, that's questioner. Yeah. So and thinking and that you belong to all of them is definitely a sign of questioner.
0: And look what I do for a living.
1: Yep, there you go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah. I would imagine that if you identify which of those you are, it's kind of like liberating because now you go, well, oh, now I see why that didn't work and that didn't work and that didn't work.
1: Well, so a great example, and you're exactly right, is with obligers. So the fact is for obligers, if they want to meet an inner expectation, they need to have outer accountability. That is just, in my observation, the absolutely crucial and necessary thing. And fortunately for obligers, that's very easy to do. But often obligers don't understand this pattern. And then once they understand the kind of the definition of obliger and how it plays out it, like all their whole p- history makes sense to them. And they're like, well, now I understand, like my friend, when I was on the track team, I could run when I took that college, uh, when I took that exercise class in college, where the teacher took, um uh, when the instructor took, uh, uh, um, you know, attendance every time then I showed up when I had that daily walk that I did with my neighbor, where she was really annoyed if I didn't show up. Well, then I had no trouble. But then when I was trying to go on my own, I could never follow through. And I would say to myself, well, why can't I make time for myself? Or I need to be more motivated or I need to have more willpower. It's like, and I'm saying, no, what you need is outer accountability. That's what explains the pattern of your successes and failures. That, And and that's how you fix it. If If my friend said to me, well, why can't I exercise? I'd be like, well... How can you get outer accountability now the way you had in high school? So you could take a class. You could work out with a trainer. You could take your dog for a run who's going to be so disappointed if he doesn't get his run, and plus he's going to tear up the furniture if he doesn't get his run. You could uh, run for a charity where they're not going to make as much money if you don't complete the run. You could think of your duty to be a role model for other people. You could think of your future self and how disappointed your future self will be if your present self um, doesn't keep your promises to yourself. There's a million ways to have outer accountability once you realize that's what you need. Now, of course, for rebels, they don't like feeling accountable. They don't want a teacher saying, hey, Gretchen, why didn't you show up on Saturday? They want to feel like they can do whatever they want in their own way. So trying to get more accountability for a rebel would be counterproductive. But for an obliger, it's crucial. So once you know your tendency, you can be much, much more um, precise and effective in figuring out how to shape situations in a way that's going to get you where you want to go.
0: My guest is Gretchen Rubin. She is a writer and host of the Happier with Gretchen Rubin podcast. She's also the author and narrator of the audiobook, The Four Tendencies. You know, audiobooks are great for helping you be a better you, whether you want to feel healthier, get motivated, learn something new, or or just listen to a great story. As it happens, I really recommend Gretchen Rubin's audiobook, The Four Tendencies, which we're talking about today in this podcast and I recommend you get it at Audible. You see, Audible members get a credit every month good for any audiobook in the store, regardless of price, and unused credits roll over to the next month. Didn't like your audiobook? You can exchange it, no questions asked. Plus, your books are yours to keep. With Audible, you can go back and re-listen any time, even if you cancel your membership. Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more. Start a 30-day trial and your first audiobook is free. Go to audible.com something or text the word something to 500-500. This is a no-risk offer that really lets you dive into the world of audiobooks that I know you're going to love. Start a 30-day trial and get your first audiobook free. Go to audible.com something or text the word something to 500-500. Are you one of those people who just buys things with whatever credit card you grab out of your wallet? Well, that, that could be a costly move. NerdWallet, you've heard of NerdWallet. NerdWallet lets you compare credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. So, if, for example, you like travel rewards, you can see which credit card gives you better rewards than the credit cards you've got now. Think of what you could do with better rewards. a Free flight, room upgrades, who knows? Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and so much more at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. Credit is subject to lender approval and terms of each credit card issuer apply. No matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax experts make them count. Did you maybe buy a second property to rent out? That's a move. Did you go back to school to get your degree? That too is a move, a smart move. Did you commute to work across state lines? You see, that's a move. Did you relocate for a fresh start? Well, that's the definition of a move. Maybe you moved into a house boat instead of a house house. Or perhaps you crushed it in the stock market in 2023. TurboTax experts make all your moves count. Getting you every credit and deduction you deserve, filing with 100% accuracy, and getting your max refund guaranteed. Switch to TurboTax. Make your moves, and they will make them count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. So Gretchen, I would imagine it's not only helpful to know which of these four tendencies you tend to be, but it would also be helpful, if you can figure it out, which of the four tendencies other people are that, that you have to deal with all the time.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Whether it's a teacher and a student or it's an employee and a manager or two colleagues or people in a, you know, two sweethearts Um uh, and then just managing yourself too. It's just because the thing that is true, and I feel this so much myself, it's just very hard to realize that other people don't see the world we do, the way we do. We just think everybody's basically having the same experience. They really aren't. They really are not. And so when you, I think what I hope with the four tendencies is to draw people's attention to ways that people might be having a different reaction Um to a situation that maybe you wouldn't have thought of. You know, I have a podcast called The Happier with Gretchen Rubin Podcast, and we get we get listener questions all the time. And it's so striking to me how often someone will describe a situation and their response to it. And I'm thinking, wow, I would think that if that were me in that office, I would be thinking something very different. And it wouldn't even have occurred to me that you might be thinking what you're thinking, but. Now that you say it, it makes perfect sense. But I, it, you know, I have to hear it from you because it's not what I would automatically think. I mean, something like, should a person, you know, what happens to a dirty dish in the office sink? I mean, it's crazy how many different philosophies people bring to that. Um, there's not just one way to think about it.
0: I think about that a lot. How people experience the same situation so differently. And but it's
1: it's kind of hard to remember, right? Sure. It's your yeah. own. Interpretation seems so dominant. It's hard to remember. There's other. There's counter. There's counter perceptions.
0: Yeah, we think what we see and feel and hear is reality, but it's yeah. just our reality. It's not. It's yes. nobody else's.
1: It took me a long time to really grasp that because I'm like, but in the end, reality is reality, and it's like, well, it's not really, really no. not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, right. It's hardly.
1: No, and you know, as I'm an upholder, and one, and it's been a hugely helpful thing for me to realize, you know, well, there, there aren't that many people. The biggest tendency is obliger. That's the one for both men and women that the largest number of people belong to. And then after that, questioners, rebel is the smallest one. It's the one the fewest people belong to. And then, and also upholder is very small. So I'm part of a very kind of small extreme personality type, and this has been hugely beneficial to me because I used to see like, why can't other people get stuff done? Like, what is the deal? And now I understand like, and I communicate with people very differently. Even in things like work email, I will specifically change the way that I would phrase something or communicate something or the way I do my own work process to take into account that most other people are not upholders. And then when I work with an upholder, I absolutely know that and take that into account. Like, oh, there's all this stuff that I don't have to do because I know that this person's an upholder like me. So we get it. You know, um, and it's not that it's hard, but it's, um, but you need to be aware of it, you know, and I think, I think having a vocabulary for it um, just makes that a lot easier.
0: Well, it is interesting that so much of the advice that you hear about motivation and getting things done, like, it's very common for people to say, one of the best ways to exercise is to have accountability. But you're saying that, well, that's true for some people, but it's not true for everybody.
1: Absolutely. And then some people don't need it. So it's like it's burdensome and sometimes it's helpful even if you don't, if it's not crucial, but it's also burdensome. So if you know you don't depend on it, maybe you don't want to have to fuss with it because it's not that important for you. Whereas for somebody else, it's crucial. And and same thing along the same lines, one of the things that experts always say is if something's really important to you, like you want to exercise, you should get up and do it first thing in the morning. And I've talked to so many people who are like, yeah, for my New Year's resolution, I'm going to get up early and go for a run before work. And my first question is, well, are you a morning person? Because that's, there really are morning people and night people, and it's not just a question of when you go to bed. Night people are, it's largely genetically determined and a function of age, and if you're a night person, you're just at you're much more productive and creative and energetic later in the day. You probably are barely getting to work or school on time as it is, and the idea that you are gonna try to use willpower or self-control to get yourself to get up early and go for a run, it's just you're setting yourself up for failure. I get why on paper it makes good sense. And I'm a morning person, so it would work for me. But if you're a night person, you have to figure out a different solution. It doesn't matter that everybody's like, well, this is the best way to do it. It's not the best way for you. Right? And believe me, I mean, because night people, it's just not going to work. It's too hard for them because it goes too much against the grain of their natural um, – uh, the natural rhythms of their energies.
0: Yeah, I'm not even sure it's th- that black and white because I'm not I'm not a night person. But I've tried to get up in the morning and go to the gym and exercise. I'm not a night person, but I, I I get up when I get up. And if I had to try to force myself to get up earlier mm-hmm. than I get up, it, mm-hmm. it, it you know it lasted two days, and I and on the third day I said, oh no, I'm staying right here. I'm not going anywhere. So, well, see, and
1: that's the thing is a lot of times I think people are like, oh, I can't exercise. And I'm like, no, you can't get up early. You know, they've misdiagnosed the problem because they think, oh, I can't get to the gym. It's like, no, you can't get out of bed. So you're just ma- – you're making one thing that is maybe challenging, exercise, doubly challenging right. and maybe like even triply challenging by setting up a circumstance. Or like I was talking to a person who um, – Wanted to learn to swim, but was very introverted and hated taking swim classes. And I'm like, you're asking yourself not to do one thing, but two things. One is to take swimming, which is hard for you, and it's something that you, like, are working on, a challenge, and also to be in this class situation, which for you is very off-putting. So it's not, like, you need to find a better way for you, because this is, you're, you're, you're piling too many demands onto one thing. You know, if you're trying to do a challenging habit, you want to make it as easy as possible for you. And... And, and, and like things like time of day and the circumstance or like, I hate loud pounding music. Like I'm just very sensitive to noise. And so to go to a gym where there's loud pounding music, it's like, it's not that I have a problem with exercise. It's a, I have a problem with loud pounding music. So just go to a different gym. But sometimes people aren't, they just feel like, um, well, that's just the way a gym is. I ha, like, there's something wrong with me that I can't exercise. They don't even look below the surface to say, it's not really the exercise that's the problem. And so then they don't see how they could solve it a different way. Well maybe you want to go for a run outside where it's quiet and peaceful and you'll have you'll have solitude and you're starved for solitude and this is going to be really it's going to be a really joyful thing for you. Um, Or, you know, whatever it might be. There's a lot of ways to do this stuff. Uh, And I think sometimes we're sort of told, well, this is the one best way. This is the way successful people do it. You should do it this way. And if you can't succeed, then there's something wrong with you. Right. There's a lot of ways to eat healthy. There's a lot of ways to exercise. There's a lot of ways to read more. There's a lot of ways to get more sleep. You know, figure out the way that works for you.
0: Well, I, I really like this idea of figuring out, you know, who you are, what your tendency is, and then designing a life around that which should make your life a lot easier and take a lot of the stress out. My guest has been Gretchen Rubin. She is host of the podcast Happier with Gretchen Rubin. She has an audiobook out called The Four Tendencies, and there is a link to the audio book in the show notes for this episode. And if you'd like to take the quiz and figure out which of the four tendencies you are, you can take that quiz at GretchenRubin.com. Thanks, Gretchen.
1: Okay, bye-bye.
0: Maybe you've thought about starting up a website for your business or organization or even your hobby, but you think, yeah, but a website is such a big commitment. It takes a lot of work. Well, if that's what you think, you need to know about Squarespace. Squarespace makes creating your website so easy. You start with their beautiful templates from award-winning designers and then customize everything so it's perfect for you and it's easy to do. And the great thing is, They have everything you need. Free hosting, e-commerce functionality so you can sell products on your site, search engine optimization to help people find your site, and all the analytics you need to see who's visiting your site. It's really the perfect solution. It's why we chose Squarespace for an upcoming podcast website. And the site, when we launch it, is going to be perfect. Look, a dream is just a great idea that doesn't have a website yet. Make it a reality with Squarespace. Head over to Squarespace.com for a free trial so you can really dive in and get a feel for it. Then when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SOMETHING to save 10% on your first purchase of a website or domain. That's Squarespace.com for a free trial and then use the offer code SOMETHING to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Always find what you love and love what you find at Total Wine & More. With so many great bottles to choose from at the lowest price, it's easy to find your favorite Cabernet or Chardonnay. Or maybe you're more of a whiskey drinker. One of their single-barrel bourbons is sure to please. With a little help from one of their friendly guides, find the perfect bottle that's just right for you. Hosting friends or family and don't have time to shop in-store? Curbside pickup and delivery available in most areas. Visit TotalWine.com to learn more. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly, B21. Ask a business owner or manager who's looking to hire someone and they'll often use the word hope. As in, I hope I find someone good. I hope this person works out. You don't want hope. You want to nail this perfectly because the right people can make all the difference to your business. Now you don't need hope. You need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster – 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I think makes Indeed special is that it's not just names and resumes. It's a system that guides you through the hiring process to help you get the right candidate for the job. And what's really cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners to this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com something. You just go to Indeed.com something right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on something you should know. Indeed.com something. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You and I make irrational decisions, and we do irrational things. We don't do this stuff intentionally, but we do things like we'll we'll stay in a relationship that we know we should get out of, or we listen to advice from someone just because they're important, even though they may not have any qualifications to offer that advice. Or we make financial decisions based on little more than a gut feeling. It actually gets deeper and more complicated than that, and a lot more fascinating. Ron Broffman, along with his brother Ori, who was a guest here several months ago, did some really interesting research on this for a best-selling book they published several years ago called Sway, The Irresistible Pull of Irrational Behavior. Hi, Ron. So w- what was it that pulled you guys into this work in the first place?
2: I'm a psychologist, and my brother was getting his MBA at Stanford. And now he has an MBA. And one of the things that we saw is that in both of our fields, there's this intersection of we're interested in why people make irrational decisions.
0: And why do people make irrational decisions?
2: Well, the thing is that there's several forces that when they act on us, it makes us act irrationally. For example, you have the force of commitment. So once we start something, whether it would be a project or a career or a relationship, and we put energy into it, it's very difficult to stop and and look at it and say, you know what? Maybe this is not the right thing for me. Maybe, maybe I'm um, getting too much entangled in it. But once we start, it's very, very difficult to stop. And the thing to do is to assess it um, step by step and to say, if I had to start all over again, would I still be doing what I'm doing today or would I do something else? And if the answer is something else, then we really have to think, am I, am I doing something because I, it's the, the right thing for me or am I doing it because I'm just doing it because I've always done it?
0: But you, you also hear, too, that successful people are persistent, even through tough times. So, so how do you know whether or not you're being successfully persistent or <laughs> irrationally persistent?
2: That's an excellent question and the difference between persistent and the commitment bias is that persistence has logic behind it. And you look at it and you say and Warren Buffett talked about it like the first time he invested in a stock and the stock went down and then he sold and he said I shouldn't have sold. I should have been persistent because there's some logic behind it. Maybe things are not going well right now, but at least at least I have some rationale of why I'm sticking with it. Commitment is saying, you know what, maybe I'm in a bad relationship, maybe I'm not in the right career, but eh, I've always done it, so I'm just going to continue doing it, and there's no sound rationale behind it.
0: Right. So talk about some of the other irrational behaviors that, that people do.
2: You've got loss aversion. So w- people overreact to prospective losses. For example, look at gas prices, and they're just shooting through the roof, and people are saying, you know what, Maybe I don't wanna go on a vacation this year. And when you think about it, that's a little bit ridiculous because we don't react to gas prices in the opposite way when they go down. It's not like when um gas prices go down, we say we're gonna just go all over the United States and sacrificing a vacation can be irrational when you consider that you can save money in other ways. Maybe go on vacation and just don't go to the most expensive restaurant or stay at a nice hotel but not a super hotel. But what happens is when we're when there's a loss, a perspective loss, we overreact, and then we make irrational decisions, and a lot of times we feel paralyzed, and we just stop everything together and don't do anything.
0: Yeah, and, and I think everybody's had that experience where they've overreacted and then looked back and said, well, no, why did I do that? Why did I, or why did I not do that?
2: Exactly, and there's something um, similar to that with the force of fairness, and we found that what happens is when we're in a situation where something doesn't feel fair, we almost regress and be like, act like little kids, and we say, you know what, we're not, we're not going to do it anymore. So if I'm at work and I don't, have, I don't get the raise that I think I deserve, or if, if I'm talking to my wife and she says, um, you know what, you don't clean the house enough, and I feel like I do, a lot of times what people do is they say, I'm just going to give up, I'm just not going to do anything. And when you think about it, that's usually not the best thing to do.
0: Oh, I think that's right on the money. I, I think when people are doing what they think is the best that they can do, and other people don't recognize it, or other people criticize it, it's very, it's very easy to adopt that kind of juvenile attitude of, well, then screw it, I'm, then I'm not going to do it at all.
2: Yes, yes. And what we found is that the opposite actually works. That frequent communication is the best thing to go about establishing a sense of fairness. So if I feel like something is not going well, if I can talk to the other person and say, you know what, I know you didn't mean it, but um, I think actually I do do this, this, and this. And the other person is like, oh, yeah, I didn't realize it. Okay. Or if I'm at work, if I'm working on a project and I just become so concentrated on a project that I forget to talk to my, my boss, to my other coworkers, They might feel resentful towards me because they feel, hey, how come this person is just hoarding everything and they're not communicating? And the more we communicate, the more we appear fair, and the more we also feel like it's it's a fair situation because we become part of the process.
0: There was a story in the book about an airline captain who was also the head of safety for the airline who then plowed into a plane on the runway because he was worried about being late. Talk about that.
2: Yes. What happened? His plane was diverted to this small airport, and he just needed to get his his, um, plane in the air as soon as possible because otherwise his crew would get grounded because they've been um, in the air for too long. And so he's stuck in this airport and tries to do everything he can to get out, and he just doesn't, nothing happens. And so finally, finally, he gets clearance, and he's saying, You know what? I'm going to take off. And then his co pilot says, You know what? I don't think we have. Um, flight clearance. I think they just you just got the the ATC clearance, which means your flight plan has been cleared. And he ignores his co-pilot and he takes off. And unfortunately, there's a plane right there on the runway that Vanzantin didn't see, and they collide. And it causes the biggest aeronautical disaster in history. 584 people get killed. And now people are saying, what was going on in Vanzantin's head? Well, two things. First of all, he was commi- so committed to taking off that he forgot to take into consideration the basic, basic safety mechanism. And the second thing is loss aversion. He was so afraid of the losses he would incur if his flight was grounded that he did everything he could to avoid the loss and ironically, of course, created a huge loss in the process.
0: And in retrospect, you know, it's pretty stupid.
2: Yeah, and that's what happens when we look back and we think, what was I thinking? What was going on? But when those forces are acting on us, we stop thinking rationally. And you've got perfectly rational people acting irrationally.
0: Well, and, and there are plenty of people who are seemingly normal, rational people who momentarily did something irrational and got themselves in a whole bunch of trouble. I mean, road rage is a is the perfect example. I mean, be, people who seemingly nice, normal folks just lose it, and, and and all hell breaks loose.
2: Exactly, exactly. How many times we look back in our lives and we say, you know what, if only we would have thought about it a little bit more, if only we would have acted a little bit more coolly." And that's the thing to do, to recognize those forces that act in us, and that's what we represent in the book. We're saying, look at all these forces, and when you catch yourself in your life, when you see these forces around you, you've got to slow down, and you're going to think, and you're going to say, am I making a rational decision, or am I... Am I getting swayed by all these forces acting on me?
0: So clearly, timing is important. And in fact, I remember interviewing someone who spoke on the subject of of conflict resolution, and she had a great line that I always remembered, and that is, strike when the iron is cold. Mm -hmm. In other words, wait, settle down, think it through before you do anything.
2: Exactly. I mean, you see, you know, how many times we've uh, driven in the car and then you see the yellow light just about, you know, to turn red and you think, you know, I can make it. And even if you make it, just speeding so you can make it, speeding through the intersection, you're just putting yourself in great danger. What if there's other cars coming? What if you're not going to be able to break in time? All to to shave two minutes off of a commute. And you look at it back and you say, is that really worth it? And the thing to do is to try to not act based on raw emotion.
0: You talk about how culture can play into this sometimes. Uh, And you give the example of the TV show Who Wants to Be a Millionaire and how people react in different cultures to that. Talk about that.
2: Um, You look at the show Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, and what happened is when they aired the show in different countries, the audiences acted differently differently. So, in Russia, they saw that the audience would purposefully give the contestants the wrong answer when the contestant asked for help from the audience. And then we looked at it and we said, like, what was going on? And we talked to a Russian expert, and it turns out that what happens is that the Russian audiences didn't think it was fair for somebody to get rich. With their help. Why should I help someone if I'm not getting any of the money and they're going to get rich? So it's a different cultural perspective of what it means to be helpful, what it means to be fair. And then in France, what the audience does a lot of times, if they feel the contestant should have known the answer, if they feel the contestant is ignorant, then they give them the wrong answer because they say that person is not deserving of uh, winning the money. And it's so interesting how Americans think differently about what it means to be helpful to a stranger than a Russian would or somebody from France might.
0: Talk about that experiment w- with the rope bridge.
2: Yes, so it's a classic experiment in psychology. It was done in Vancouver, and you have um, these men who cross this bridge over a canyon. It's a rope bridge, it's a, sus- a suspension rope bridge, not very stable. So you've got the adrenaline pumping. And then at the end of the bridge stands a young, attractive woman asking you can I get your time and ask you a few questions about a project I'm doing on creativity now unbeknownst to the man the woman is not really doing a project on creativity she's one of the research assistants and then towards the end she says you know what if you want to know more about this um, topic give me a call and she tears a piece of uh, paper and writes her number on it and then the same thing was done in uh, another part of the park where people were young men were walking over just a normal sturdy wood bridge now, when they looked at the phone and saw who called, the young men who crossed the suspension bridge were twice as likely to call the research assistant as the guys who were walking over the wooden bridge. And the reason for that is because when your adrenaline is pumping and there's an attractive person there, all your emotions become more intense. And so you translate that emotion. Instead of saying, hmm, I have adrenaline pumping, you say, wow. I'm, I'm so excited, it must be because I'm attracted to this woman.
0: Why do you think, or, or what does the research say, uh, as to why th- this loss aversion thing, why this hasn't either evolved out of humans, or, or what purpose does it serve, or what purpose did it serve long ago?
2: Well, that's a really good question. I mean, you look at cavemen, and maybe it would have uh, made sense to be loss-averse, that if you have one deer that you kill once a year, you, you, you do want to stake your life on it to make sure that you don't lose it if there's another bear, say, um, or a wolf that comes and tries to steal it. But in modern lives, we shouldn't act like primitive people. And we should say, you know what? Losses don't mean as much as they used to. Or same thing with fairness. Um, in, in ancient times, People had to play fairly, because if not, you could get cheated, and you can lose all your money, you can lose a lot of things. But nowadays, we're not under so much danger as we used to be, but we act with the same intensity as we used to act. And I think the intensity is where the moderation needs to come in.
0: So you're saying it is a, a primitive instinct that once served a purpose, but now it, it really just gets in the way.
2: Exactly. Not only does it get in the way, ironically, it makes us go back to being primitive and act in primitive ways that derail us from making good decisions and and living productively in modern life.
0: Talk about the diagnosis bias.
2: Yes. We looked at people doing job interviews and what do managers do when they interview someone. And one study shows that managers actually make the decision about who they're going to hire within minutes of the interview. Even the handshake, if you, if you give them a fair handshake, um, that actually gets diagnosed. Now, when you look at the actual numbers, that's a really poor diagnosis because if you have a firm handshake, that's not really going to translate into you being a good employee. But what happens is that managers don't realize that they're Focusing on the wrong criterion. As a psychologist, they see that all the time when people come in and they say, I don't know why my relationships don't end up well. I don't know why I keep picking the wrong guys or the wrong women, and it's because we focus on the wrong things. Instead of saying, you know what, I want somebody who's honest and kind and attractive and somebody who's outgoing, we look at somebody and we say, wow, she has a great body, I'm going to go out with her. Or we look at a guy and say, wow, he seems like he's really tough, I'm going to go out with him, but that might not be the best match for who I'm really looking for.
0: And isn't it true, in fact, I remember Robert Cialdini, who wrote a blurb on your book, has said that um we tend to like people who we perceive are like us.
2: Yes, and that's what that's exactly what happens in job interviews when somebody reminds me of reminds you, of yourself, you say, wow, that person seems like a really nice guy or a really nice gal. Well, <laughs> but they, they might remind you of yourself, but first of all, you're only looking at, at, at somebody under a 30-minute uh, microscope. They may not actually be that way. And the second thing, you don't want a company full of people who are exactly like you. You want diversity, but we don't know how to handle diversity. We're kind of afraid of it. We're not comfortable with it.
0: Talk about the the group dynamic that you speak of in the book about how blockers are just as important as initiators.
2: Yes. So we interviewed Justice Breyer in the Supreme, U.S. Supreme Court, and what he said is that dissent is extremely important, that in a group dynamic, when you have a justice who can stand up and say, you know what, I disagree with this opinion for this and that reason, that that's really, really important, because it makes the overall opinion of the court a lot stronger, because it adds another perspective. But what happens usually in group dynamics, we love people who are initiators. We love the people who come up and say, you know what, this is a great idea, and we should do this, and we should do that, and we think of them as charismatic. And optimistic, and we don't really like the people who stand up and say, "You know what? I don't think that's going to work out. I think that's a bad idea. Um, I don't think it's it's going to go as well as you think." And we kind of like, you know, come on, don't 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 ruin the party. You know, um, just be more optimistic. Don't be so negative. But those people are really essential for us making rational decisions because they are able to thwart irrational decisions, and it's the person who puts on the brakes, so to speak, on a runaway car, and we need to listen to them. Now, they might be wrong, but their message needs to be incorporated, and even if we disagree with them, we need to say, you know what, speak up, so that way we can discuss what's going on, and unfortunately, we don't give blockers enough time to really communicate and say what they want to say, and people are afraid to be dissenters and be blockers because they know they're going to get perceived as being a pain in the neck.
0: Right, well, that's how they're perceived as, as they're getting in the way of the progress here.
2: Yes, yes. Imagine I, I interview for a job and I say, you know what, I tend to disagree with people and I tend to sometimes point out how things are not going to work out. Nobody's going to hire me. But it's like an organization, you want to have someone like that. In a family, you want to have someone like that because they can actually keep the family on track. They can look at the worst case scenario and make sure that that doesn't happen.
0: Well, I must admit, it is interesting and fun to listen to how we humans do irrational things and think irrational thoughts. But maybe by understanding how we do these irrational things, uh, we can be more rational about it. Ron Brofman has been my guest. He and his brother, Ori Brofman, are co-authors of a couple of best-selling books. The one we've been talking about today is Sway, The Irresistible Pull of Irrational Behavior. There's a link to the book in the show notes, and I appreciate you being here. Thanks, Ron. If your kids have allergies or eczema, it could be your dishwasher's fault. Here's the theory. Dishes washed in a dishwasher are sanitized. Dishes washed by hand have more bacteria on them because washing dishes by hand is less effective in reducing bacteria. So children in homes without a dishwasher are exposed to more microbes and this plays into the idea that growing up in a squeaky clean house can actually increase the risk of autoimmune conditions, like allergies, because the immune system doesn't have anything to do, so it makes stuff up, basically. It seems that exposing your children to many different types of bacteria keeps the immune system busy and working properly. A survey of parents of over a 1,000 children between the ages of 7 and 8 support this theory. The risk of developing an allergy was further reduced if a child also ate fermented food, like sauerkraut, or produce that's been bought directly from a farm. Fermentation of food is a bacterial process, and food from a farm will likely have more bacteria than processed foods. And all of that seems to help the immune system Keep working properly. And that is Something You Should Know. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter, where we post additional content beyond what you hear in the program. And if you'd like to email me, I'm at mike at somethingyoushouldknow.net. I'm Mike Carruthers. Thanks for listening today to Something You Should Know. No matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax experts make them count. Did you maybe buy a second property to rent out? That's a move. Did you go back to school to get your degree? That too is a move, a smart move. Did you commute to work across state lines? You see, that's a move. Did you relocate for a fresh start? Well, that's the definition of a move. Maybe you moved into a house boat instead of a house house. Or perhaps you crushed it in the stock market in 2023. Turbo tax experts make all your moves count